Well, hello, everyone. Talk of the Town is up and running in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, USA. I'm Scott Montesano, and this is where the Chippewa Valley comes to talk. Oh, you've got a very happy Scotty on this Thursday, March the 10th. I am as happy as a bear taking a bath in a tranquil lake. Uh, my beloved sport of baseball has a, f- well, it's not official yet, but they expect to announce later on tonight that they will have ratified a new uh, working agreement between the players and, and management, and they will have their season. I love baseball. I mean, I, 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 I crave baseball like an infant craves a nipple. All right, I love the sport there. So I'm very, very happy. You get happy Scotty today as uh, we uh, get this talk of the town up and running. And again, this is where the Chippewa Valley comes to talk. Uh, Check out all the great shows that we have. And we've just signed on a couple other shows that will be debuting in the next few weeks. And if you are a regular follower of our social media pages, uh, you will have noticed, and correctly so, that we are now sold out of podcast space. That is correct. We are sold out of podcast space we have no more room at the end no more room at the end for podcasts for the next several weeks now i'm a businessman if somebody wants to do a podcast and they've got money am i going to turn them away well no we'll try to find them room but the reality of it is don't have any space anymore for the next uh, couple of uh, well for the next few weeks uh, as we bring on some new people and it's so exciting to see how this has grown and to again be bringing all of you these local voices these local perspectives letting everybody hear what locals are thinking what locals have to talk about from the serious to the silly from opinions on world events to how to train your dog And again, it's locals talking to locals. I absolutely love it. So uh, good news for us. And none of it's possible without all of your support out there. Because if we didn't have all the listeners that we do, the people that download not only this show, but all of the other great shows that we have, well, then we would not have people that are constantly knocking on my door wanting to be a part of Eau Claire Hometown Media. Of course, one of those groups that works with us is the Boys and Girls Club of the Chippewa Valley. And the Boys and Girls Club, by the way, their podcast, their second podcast, will drop on Friday of this week, so make sure you're checking that out. But big news for the Boys and Girls Club, the Boys and Girls Club of the Greater Chippewa Valley, announcing this week plans for a $6.5 million expansion. Not just physical expansion they're not talking about building a whole new building but the extension of services which costs money it costs money for resources costs money for staffing it costs money for for a bunch of things so when you talk about an expansion it's not always brick and mortar the 6.5 million dollar expansion for the boys and girls club would allow them to serve an additional 200 and 50 kids spread out amongst their various location. They would add services in Altoona. Plus, this would also uh, increase their opportunities to bring on more kids in Chippewa, Menominee, and Eau Claire. 
250 more kids. Uh, they've already raised half of the $6.5 million. And in the case of Altoona, they hope to actually start those services as early as this summer at the Altoona Intermediate School. And they've already raised ha they've already raised uh, seventy five thousand dollars of that one hundred and fifty that they would need to get it started this summer. Long story short, great news for the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, they are well on their way to increasing the services that they are able to provide to kids and to families in the area. And if you have not already checked out their podcast series, make sure you do. Uh, the first one is extremely cute. A uh, young girl, she's, she's a second grader, interviews Ann Kaiser, the CEO. And Ann does not hold back with her answers. And neither does the kid hold back on the type of questions that they ask. <laughs> and then the one that drops on Friday is also very cute. Uh, you learn about the summer programs that they have and the youth of the year, the youth of the year award they have going on. Uh, the thing about the Boys and Girls Club, and I've been there a few times and I've interviewed people, but I always have to be reminded of this. And if you are not directly connected to the Boys and Girls Club, either you've never been a part of the Boys and Girls Club or, well, yeah, you've never been a part of the Boys and Girls Club or you haven't known anybody in the Boys and Girls Club, a common misconception is that the Boys and Girls Club is for troubled youths or for people from a certain socioeconomic background. In fact, that's directly addressed in the very first episode of their podcast. That's a misconception. Anybody can go to the Boys and Girls Club. Rich, poor, anything. Any type of denomination, any type of religious affiliation, any anything. Anybody can go to the Boys and Girls Club. There is no, uh, you don't have to show your bank account to go. Kids don't have to be good kids to go. They don't have to be bad kids to go to the Boys and Girls Club. But, but somehow or another, it's gotten that, that perception. And we can go into a deep dive as to why it might and perhaps because of, well, maybe some, some racial undertones there. Because when you look at advertisements for the Boys and Girls Club, typically it has included many people of a minority that would be included in the advertisement. Especially if you see advertisements uh, for Boys and Girls Clubs elsewhere. I'm not saying that's 100% the issue, but that perhaps could be it. And it all plays into a bunch of things there. Long story short... No matter what the reasons are, it is a misconception. Anybody can go to the Boys and Girls Club. It's, it's, it's organized, extended, after-school care for kids. That's what it is. It's organized, extended, after-school care. Many parents work until 5 or 6, so school gets done at 3.30 or 3.45. It's a great spot for kids to go. Even for parents that get that get off of work at four or four thirty, or even those that work at home, this allows them to put their kids into this program, and this allows the parents time at home alone or to run errands. Some people send their kids every day. Some people send their kids two or three times a week, depending on schedules. It's a great activity for kids. 
in a time when many, many parents across the country, because you've got more, uh, you don't have as many parents staying home. And, you, you, and what I mean by that is, yeah, people are working more from home. But it used to be just before my generation, but even those that grew up in the 80s used to have one parent worked, typically the father, but not always. One parent worked, one parent stayed at home. And even if you had both parents worked, usually you had like a, a grandparent that would stay home with the kids all the time. Well, that doesn't exist as much anymore. So parents are a lot busier than they w ever were. And parents are not quite as eager to get their kids signed up for organized activities as there used to be, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's a bunch of things, you see a lot of registration down across the board on a number of those things. And there's a few reasons, one of them being parents are busy and they do not want to take up their evening schedules. The Boys and Girls Club is an outstanding organized activity for kids. So... Uh, great job done by the people at the Boys and Girls Club, and uh, they're already well on their way to that expansion, and it's going to be something great for the area. Speaking of things great for the area, uh, the the now newly named County Materials Complex, that's the Sonnentag Center, but let's all get used to this right now. You're going to have the Sonnentag Center attached to it, the Sonnentag Fieldhouse, and it's all going to be on the plot of land called the County Materials Complex, all off of Menominee Street. Shovel in the ground, end of this month, the official gold-plated shovel ceremony will be on April 25th. And we learned earlier this week, the Mayo Clinic kind of finalizing its commitment and what it's going to be doing as a part of this complex, and they're going to have their own sports medicine facility there that'll benefit not only the university, but will benefit the community. So they outlined more details, more specifics as to what they are going to be doing. Again, great thing for the area. By the end of this fall, you're probably going to see the skeleton for the Sonnentag Center up. By the end of this fall, you'll see the skeleton up. Now, there'll be an awful lot of work that's going to be going on, even once walls are up and all of that. That's what's going to take an awful lot of time. But the structure will go up pretty quickly. And once it does, once it does, the view coming down Claremont will forever be changed and, and for the better. Uh, speaking of the Blue Golds, I was... Over in St. Peter, Minnesota on Wednesday night, Blue Goal women's hockey played in the NCAA tournament, came up short, losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, now you've just got two more winter sports to go before you can really look ahead to the spring sports seasons, which are actually already underway. You've got wrestling this weekend and indoor track and field. They've got a few of their athletes competing at an individual level at NCAA Tournament Championships. But women's hockey, their season came to an end on Wednesday night. Still a great season for them. Uh, whenever your season ends in the NCAA Tournament, it is always a success. It may be a disappointing, humbling way to end when you lose, but uh, it's still a success. And, and a great run for Blue Gold Athletics in the last few weeks with the women's basketball team last weekend and, of course, uh, with uh, the women's hockey. 
I did want to point this out, too. Uh, we kind of have a brief sports thing here, and I know a lot of you aren't big sports fans. I, I was going to talk about this right at the top of the show, but I'll do it now because, again, an awful lot of you are not huge sports fans. I get it. You, you tune in to get the audible chocolate, sometimes just simply to hear the audible chocolate. You don't care what I'm talking about. Other times you want to hear in-depth analysis. Uh, you know, my opinion, which is not the opinion. My, you know, it's fact, whatever I say. <laughs> Hopefully you agree with me. If you don't, well, then you're, you're, you're just wrong. Uh, <laughs> regardless, though, uh, a number of you are going to hear, for whatever reason, baseball is not the only sport that's had labor issues. Football had a very big labor issue about 10 years ago. Nobody ever thinks of it. Uh, football has really had a lot of labor issues, but they don't have a very strong union. Basketball and hockey have had their various work stoppages, uh, numerous ones in the last 20 years, but everybody always thinks about baseball. The thing about baseball, and I'm going to educate a lot of you out there because you're going to hear people say, well, if the owner, it's all the owner's fault or it's all the player's fault. It's not one side's fault. It's like any other squabble and you got to hammer it out. And by the way, don't just say, well, they're millionaires fighting over money. They still have to divvy it up, okay? They still have to divvy it up. What I wanted to say, though, is this. This is the biggest misconception. You hear a lot of people say, well, the owners locked out the players, and it's all the owners' fault. They could be playing right now if the owners would have just lifted the lockout. That's true, but if the owners lifted the lockout, the players would have gone to work, but without a new collective bargaining agreement, the owners, the players would have held over the heads of the owners. The players would have held over the heads of the owners all season long the threat of a strike and would likely have struck by the end of the season, just like they did in 1994. So the owners locked them out, but if the owners lifted the lockout, the players then could have struck at any moment and probably would have struck like they did in 1994 later in the season. So you're getting caught in semantics as to whose fault it was there. So you be when you're when you're talking to your friends tonight, you can you can be educated on on how that worked. Uh one last thing on sports, uh, best of luck to the McDonald girls basketball team there at the state tournament. So are the Menominee Mustangs. They're at the state tournament and the Memorial Old Abe's boys basketball team is two wins away from getting to the state tournament. Uh, speaking of the Sonnentag Center, mark my words, that girls' state basketball tournament is one they will go after. The Sonnentag Center is the perfect size for the girls' state basketball tournament. They will go after that hard. Uh, Lisa Gizzi spoke to WQOW in the last couple of days, acknowledged, quote-unquote, we're in a much better place, end quote, in regards to COVID. Haven't heard much from Lisa Gagizi in the last several months. Rightfully so. I think we, we've, we've definitely moved on to the next stage of, of society life where COVID is, is every bit a part of, of life, but it is not the dominating part of life that it was. Uh, I probably owe a few people some holiday hams because I, I, was, I was sure Lisa Gagizi would not make it to the end of COVID still in her leadership role. 
I was convinced at some point or another she would have left. She would never have been pushed out publicly, but I thought she would have left. Instead, she comes out the other side. Said it all along. I have no idea what 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 sort of photos she has on somebody, but you have a hard time finding people in, in city leadership roles that stand behind her and, and her actions starting about six months into the pandemic. Like any other public health official, right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, they were writing the textbook as they went along. I'm not going to fault any public servant for some of the things that they did, especially in the earliest days. But the thing with Lisa Gizzi, well, we've talked about her enough there. Um, she's hidden, you know, she never, never has wanted to answer any actual questions. Transparency. <laughs> uh, continuing on, uh, this is a story. I wonder if you're going to see this in the Leader Telegram EAU QOW because uh, it's a it's a story that's national, but it is very much right here locally. Uh, there's a Newsweek article. And I recommend you go check it out. I'm not going to read it for you here. I'm not going to even go over it, the, the whole story. But I recommend you check it out because you got to read these things for yourself. And I recommend you read it a couple of times because you're going to read it the first time. You're going to read it with emotion. And then the second and third time you read it, you're going to trim the fat off of it. Uh, but a Newsweek article. Now, before I even tell you what the story is about, remember, Newsweek is a safe haven for the extreme right. All right. Now, just like there are news outlets that are a safe haven for the left, and I'm not talking NBC and ABC. That's that's all what people have in their head. There's there's actual MSNBC is a safe haven for the left. Newsweek is regarded in journalistic circles as being sort of the opposite of that. They lean more right, more safe haven for the right. Now, that does not mean what they discuss didn't happen. But you just have to go into the articles noting that there is a spin and don't get caught up in the spin. And it's the little things, all right? Who do they talk to? How do they phrase something? All of that. And if you know going in, oh, this outlet leans to the right, this outlet leans to the left, it allows you to digest it a little bit more. And not just simply, well, it's fake news. No, that's that's lazy thinking. Read the article in Newsweek. If you if you if you Google Newsweek and you Google Eau Claire, if you Google Newsweek, if you Google Eau Claire Public Schools, it'll come up. Again, you should read the article. Remember what I said on Tuesday. The concept of quote unquote safe spaces and earning trust is paramount not just in schools, but in life. I told you we talk about safe spaces in schools and how teachers are trying to strive to be that safe space for a kid. And before people get all worked up over the idea of safe spaces, many of you have been involved in a safe space and never thought of it. Afterward, drinks with the buddies is a safe space. Well, it's not the same. How is it not the same? How, how is it not the same? But 
you have to keep an eye out for people that are rogues. Okay? And it's okay to politely question some things that have been done. Now, in the case here that they're discussing, there have been posters up at North High that are somewhat controversial, that go right along with the whole conversation from the last two weeks about what 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 should parents know, what should teachers know, you know, the the belief of withholding information, all that sort of thing. And there's been some posters up up that kind of just add fuel to that fire. It's okay to politely question. Sometimes someone goes a step too far. They had well-meaning intentions. They just went a step too far. They're not on some agenda. But also when you ask those questions, you may find out they did have an agenda. So again, read the article yourself. Read the article yourself. Uh, A couple other things I'm going to add to this though. Uh, I'm getting disappointed in the challengers Winter, Cronrath, and and Everson. And I'm going to tell you why I'm disappointed in these challengers. Because all they're focused on are things that, frankly, aren't going to win them the election. Now, their pocket of friends may think these are big issues. But for me, and for the majority of people that are going to vote, the biggest thing, it always comes down to this, is the finances. It's the finances. And it's improving the physical nature of the schools. That's it. All right? The Eau Claire School District rapidly rapidly is becoming the most decrepit school district in western Wisconsin. And there is no quote-unquote safe haven from that either. All right? God bless Regis. Literally, God bless Regis. And God bless our friends at McDonald and all of that. But those facilities aren't top of the line. You go to other districts that have more money and they've been able to handle more money and you've got newer things. You don't have that in the Eau Claire School District. And it seems like we are putting good money after bad. And how are we going to be able to turn this thing around so that we have the newer buildings? Folks, it's an awkward conversation to have, but we need a new high school in this area. We have to stop this whole thing of, of, of waiting 30 years past something's expectancy to do something about it. The Pablo Center, after the State Theater should have long since been condemned in the 80s. Finally, the Sonnentag Center, after Zorn Arena. We can't wait on school buildings. But Winter, Cronrath, and Everson all want to focus on the issues that lead off the A block of the nightly news, because those are, those are the sexy topics, equity statements and things like that. By the way, Stephanie Farr, another challenger, you know, she's not she's not without sin either because she's been drawn into this now and she's kind of defending all of the things. I want to hear more talks of the finances. I want to hear more talk about learning loss. And that I don't care about equity statements. Now, now, before you all think, oh, well, Sky on your jackass, 
I, I will give you this. I do agree. One thing that the three, the three amigos, uh, Winter, Cronrath, and Everson have right, especially Corey on this issue, is that the school has this equity committee that we haven't really discussed because, well, part of it, they, they, they work and live in anonymity, this equity committee, which I don't know what good that does. And maybe the fact that that equity committee is always behind closed doors and we have no idea what they're doing, that's why we're at this current stage we are at right now where everything is a fiery rhetoric. Regardless of what legal standing they can hide behind, there is no legal reason why that equity committee can't make their meetings open. And I do believe, at least Cronrath, but I believe the other two challengers, and maybe far, her, maybe far too, are okay with the concept of these meetings become more public. And that should be the idea, that the equity committee meetings be more public. There would be awkward things talked about. You might even get some fiery comments, but we'd, get a, we'd be in a better spot. We would talk through this, the uncomfortableness of it all. Instead of people going into a, into a back room and talking about it, and then you get these problems where you get misinterpretation and you can have some rogue actors who are on an agenda that you got to keep an eye out for, and then you get people pissed off and yelling and nothing's going to get accomplished. So before you think I'm constantly against the more right-leaning challengers and let's be let's just be frank they're, they're more right-leaning challengers I agree with the idea of when they talk about transparency one of the things they talk about is this equity committee being out in the open more and again there is no legal reason why they can't do more things public the equity committee and I, I was looking through something one of the one of the reasons they didn't want to be public was basically was was in essence to kind of you know me, me, I'm trying to trying to explain this properly they, they thought if they keep it the people that are on the committee just they're shy <laughs> they don't want to they don't want to face the piper that's really what it is that's really what it is moving on uh, there's a plan to raise the Lake Wissota rail crossing if you do some boating on Lake Wissota. That would be a big deal for you. It's kind of funny how this came to be. So you got the CN Railroad Bridge that was built in 1912. Right now, there's not much of a clearance between the water and the bridge, and there just, there just isn't. I think it's 30 inches when the water's at its highest. That's not a lot. And they've got a plan in place and there's a plan now in motion to raise the bridge up about two more feet. And this would allow for speedboats and pontoons to navigate underneath the bridge and just add to the recreation of Lake Wissota. Here's the funny part. So Rob Brown owns the view. And he'd wondered aloud for years, boy, why is that bridge so low? And what can be done with it? No different than you and I when we, we look outside and we go, huh, kind of scratch our chins and go, why, why, why has nothing be ever been done about this? And you kind of assume maybe other people have worked at it or whatever. 
So he's talking one day, I guess, at The View, and a guy comes in from The View, a guy comes into The View, who is a CN railroad worker, and the two get talking. Next thing you know, Rob Brown gets connected to the higher-ups at CN, and they start the discussion, and they go, yeah, let's think about raising that railroad bridge. So now the plan's in motion. It's not about to happen tomorrow. It would cost $300,000, which is relatively cheap. Town of Lafayette has given its moral support for this, but the town of Lafayette will would help assist with some various taxing things, uh, but they would not be one to raise the money. It would not be taxpayer dollars for this, so Brown and CN need to work to raise uh, the funds. Last thing here on the program, uh, Boy, remember, I've had my issues with Wiccans <laughs> in the area. Uh, someone let Trey Dorn uh, know I'm talking Wiccans again. It's been a, about a year and a half since he uh, he did something about me on uh, social media. Uh, but I saw on WQOW a cool story. Witchcraft is on the rise in the Chippewa Valley. The owner of the Brooming Crow. And good for good for this woman. I remember when she, when she opened up on Grand Avenue, and you're thinking, why, why the heck, y'all? Is there going to be a market for this thing? Fast forward like three, four years later, she survived the pandemic. She's opened up a new location on Claremont Ave. Uh, I think about a year ago. The owner of the Broom and Crow goes on QOW. Uh, there's a rise in people doing witchcraft things. In the Chippewa Valley. And it's mostly for fun. People are having fun on social media. They're going on social media. They're seeing people, you know, cast spells for fun or they're or they're getting these crystals and things of that nature. And it's a lifestyle. No different than I'm a big sports fan. It it's a lifestyle. Lots of people do it. And they don't do it as a LARF, though. They're not doing it necessarily as a LARF, as a caricature as a characterization, but they're doing it as a hobby. It's something they have fun with. It's something that gives them an identity. It's not quite a religion for many, though for some it is a religion, but it's not quite a religion for many, but it is a way of expressing spirituality for them. So I thought that was cool. Uh, still, when I think of witchcraft, and it's hard to get, it's hard to get by it, uh, you, you can't help but think of that classic late 90s movie, The Craft, and and uh, and a uh, and a uh, at her peak, Faruka was it Faruka Balk was the name Faruzga Balk or whatever. She's what passed as very she's what she is what passed as dangerously attractive in the late 1990s. Faruza Balk. Many of you may remember her from the the Water Boy as well. Uh, but uh, when they're talking witchcraft on this story, again, they're not talking kids going out into the woods and trying to put hexes on the popular kids. Well, that'll do it for this. Well, for this edition of Talk of the Town, back with you next week. We just got two more shows here in the month of March because we're going to be off the last week of March, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be off the uh, well for a couple weeks. We're not going to have no, no, no. Let me take that back. We got shows next week, and we got shows the week after that. I'm trying to force a vacation on a little sooner, so we got four more shows uh, before we go on a little hiatus for a couple of weeks. Uh, on behalf of everyone who made this podcast possible, I'm Scott Montesano saying there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Make sure to take advantage of it. And until next time, so long, everybody.